Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you all here, whether you're a regular or a guest. Thank you for making part of your Sunday morning, joining with us in worship and, and listening to the word today and, and, and being challenged by God and encouraged and all of that. I'm so glad that you are with us today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan Harris. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm excited that you're with us and, and that we get to be together in this format today. And, you know, today's really special because it's Mother's Day. And I want to say a, a special happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. You know, moms do so much. Not only would we literally not have life without them, right? I mean, they give us birth. They they take care of us, all of those kinds of things. But, but then all throughout life, think of everything that mom does. Mom's give snuggles and, and encouragement and challenge and dress and kiss wounds and help with homework and meals and just a myriad of things. So basically, the job title, in my opinion, of mom is a superhero. Moms are superheroes. And listen, I know there are some of you moms out there who maybe don't feel that way right now, especially in this particular setting uh, with everything that's going on. We're, we're all facing all kinds of challenges. But I want you to know you are a superhero. You are amazing. What you do is so important. You give life and you help others to succeed. And you know, that's really what we're all called to do in the Bible. And, and you moms are such a great example of that to, to all of us. So I just want to honor you. I want to applaud you. I want to say thank you so much for being a mom. And I want to challenge all of us, uh, you know, for your own mom or for the moms around you, reach out, say thank you, encourage them, maybe give them a standing ovation. You know, they, they do so, so much for us. So let's honor our moms today and, and, and the moms around us for all that they do, for who they are, and for the fact that we wouldn't be who we are without them right? So let's do that. And you know, as we get going here, I, I would actually like to pray just a special prayer to bless you moms. So why don't you all join with me? Father, we want to lift the moms to you right now. We want to thank you for them. We want to thank you for the love that you give to us through them, that uh, you, you not only exemplify what love looks like through them, but you give us your love through them. So thank you. Thank you for them. I pray a special blessing on this Mother's Day as we are uh, still in this, this time of being separated. I know that there are many moms who are not able to be with their kids right now, but I, I just pray that they would experience your love and that, that they would experience their kids' love at the same time uh, in, in this moment and in this situation. And God, that you would honor them, that you would uh, help us to honor them, and that they would experience how much, or, or just the knowledge of how much we appreciate them. God, thank you for the moms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, hey, uh, if you're joining with us for the first time, or maybe you haven't been with us in a couple of weeks, we are in a series right now here at Celebration Center where we're going through the, the small book called Philippians. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to a bunch of Christians in the city of Philippi. Now, this was a group of people who were very dear to Paul. 
They were good friends. They were like family, both because of their shared past. You know, they had, they had this, this length of time they had been together, but they also had a shared mission together. And we looked at some of what that meant last week. Paul and the Philippians were partners in the gospel, in the message that God has at long last fulfilled his promises to make all things right, and he's done it through Jesus, his Messiah. And and so they have this deep, affectionate friendship with each other in this partnership, but they were also working together for the same thing. They were pulling together in the same direction to bring God's rule and reign through them wherever they were at. Even, even when they were separated by hundreds or maybe thousands of miles, they were still partnering together. And we saw how we can participate in the same way, partnering in the gospel together. We talked about that last week. So if you've missed any of this series, I encourage you, go to our website, ccpuallup.com. You can scroll to the bottom of the page and you can click on either the uh, the sermon podcast link, or you can click on the YouTube link and you can get caught up there. This week, we are going to look at uh, what it means to live the gospel and in and, and following a, an example, because that, that's important. That is something that's very important. So um, here's our passage for this week. It's Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. It's a little lengthier this morning. I am going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about some of the ideas in it. And again, I'm not going to be able to cover everything in this. There's just too much for me to be able to do that in, in our short time together. But there is so much here that is amazing and, and applicable for us right here, right now in our own situation. So Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 26. I am reading out of the, out of the NIV, excuse me. Uh, so you can open up your Bibles or your Bible apps and you can follow along there. Here's, here's how Paul commences this this section. Verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others do out of good will. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I in no way will be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. 
For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going to live on in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is far more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus will abound on account of me. Like I said, this is a lengthier passage and I want to go back now and I want to, I want to look through some of the ideas here that we see. In this passage, we see Paul giving a report to his friends in Philippi about his condition, how his life is currently going. This was something common that happened in friendship letters in the ancient world. This is what they would do. They would say, hey, here, here's about my situation. Here's what's happening. We do the same thing when we meet up with friends that we haven't seen or talked to in a while, right? We let them know how things are going. This is just part of human experience. You see, the Philippians had been concerned for their friend Paul and sent someone from their church to bring a gift to Paul and to collect information about his well-being so that this friend of theirs, and we're going to meet him later in the letter, but this friend of theirs would be able to then come back to them and give the report to say, hey, here's how Paul is doing. This is what is happening. But Paul uses these circumstances and this report to instruct the Philippians. It's not merely a, hey, this is how I'm doing. How are you? You know, he's not merely shooting the breeze with them. He is encouraging them. He is building them up and he is instructing them in a particular direction, a particular way to live. So here's the first thing that Paul is encouraging. Number one, to live the gospel, we must follow the example to live the gospel, we must follow the example. Paul does not make this particular statement in so many words, but the way the entire section is laid out and the way it fits within Philippians overall is that Paul is holding up his circumstances and actions as a pattern to follow. He's saying, look, and later on actually in the letter, he's going to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. All right. So it's not so much about what Paul is doing as the imitation of Jesus or the example of Jesus that the Philippians are going to see through Paul. All right. So he says to them, live the example. As a matter of fact, next week, we're going to hear Paul say this in Philippians 1.27, the very next verse after where we ended, he's going to say, whatever happens, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he's, he, what, where we pick up next week is going to be, all right, what you've heard here, do likewise. Make this your pattern of behavior. So the fact that Paul turns immediately from his situation to the corresponding need uh, uh, for, for action on the part of the Philippians fills the picture in for us. But, you know, what example is it that Paul is encouraging the Philippians to follow? 
We all recognize that some examples are better than others, right? I can't tell you how many times I heard my mom or my dad say to me or one of my other brothers, well, if your friends go and jump off a cliff, are you going to join them? Are you going to jump after them? You ever heard something like that? Sometimes the value of an example is more in knowing what not to do. Right? There are some things that we just don't need to follow, some patterns that we need to actually look at and, and, and think about critically and say, hmm, that doesn't seem like such a good idea. But you know what? It's far better to have a good example to pattern ourselves after because a good example gives us insight into the different nuances and, of situations that we encounter that we can take into account as, as well as practices to put into place so that we can continue moving forward, so that we can live well as we uh, move forward in life. Now, in Paul's day, the main value of education was in knowing how to live. It's not that they didn't care about information, but they wanted to know how to live. How do we live as good, uh, responsible human beings in society, with our family, with our friends, with our enemies, all over, all right? We, in our culture, tend to value information a lot more. I know when I'm confronted with an issue or a problem, I want to sit down, I want to read about it, I want to Google it, I want to find out, okay, what is it that I need to understand about this? And I want to dissect the problem. Maybe some of you are like that. I think we all tend that way to one degree or another. But but what Paul is, is telling us to focus on here is an example of a pattern to follow, something to put into practice, something to do. Because here's the reality. We tend to know a lot more than we actually do, don't we? Think about it. All of the information that you have in your head, do you really practice all of it? Do you actually let all of that inform? Now, if you do, great, that's awesome. I know I don't. There are so many things that I know, even from the Bible, that I don't always live out well. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm just tired. I don't want to do that or, you know, whatever else. And so I know things, but I don't always do them. And I bet it's the same way for you as well. Here's what Jesus said about this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is what is called the Great Commission. Jesus is about to leave and he's, these are the final words according to Matthew that, that Jesus left with his disciples. It, it says this in verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here's the key, verse 20 teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When Jesus said to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, he wasn't talking only about the content of his teaching. He wasn't only talking about have them memorize the Sermon on the Mount or, or have them be able to regurgitate the Ten Commandments or, or anything like that, okay? I mean, it's not that he wasn't referring to, to those things and understanding the content of the teaching. He was including his character, his very way of life in that. For Jesus, part of the commands that he gave his disciples was his 
way of being human. His practices, the way that he engaged with people, the way that he engaged with God, the way that he lived. So the the example Paul was giving the Philippians was that of himself following Jesus. And he was inviting them and us to follow that same example. You guys, to live the gospel, we need to follow the example. And the example we follow needs to be one that puts Jesus on display. And it's that, by doing that, we're going to be led into a couple of other things. Which is number two here. To live the gospel, we must trust. To live the gospel, we must trust trust. Specifically, this means that we are focused on our good God and what he's doing more than we are concerned about what we want or what we think needs to happen. Last summer, I taught my kids how to ride their bikes. And for a long time, Caleb was, my son was really hesitant to have the training wheels removed. He just, he liked the feeling of security of having those training wheels there where he could pedal fast and he could get going and you know, all that. And he didn't have to think about or worry about falling over to either side or, you know, feel out of control or anything like that. But the problem was these particular training, training wheels weren't safe for kids his size. He had actually outgrown them. They were straining under him I was watching them bend one day as he was riding. And I thought, man, these things are going to break and he's going to get impaled. He's going to fall over because he's not going to know how to ride his bike and, and to stay up straight. So it took an awful lot of convincing, but I finally got Caleb to agree and, and, uh, to get in on, on riding his bike without the training wheels. You guys, many times we are stuck with our own training wheels, aren't we? We think that we're gonna be safer or more comfortable in life and in and, and its situations if, if, if those things work out the way we want them to based on our safety nets or those things that we fall back onto. The trouble with that is that often the things God wants us to do require us to head out in directions that are not safe where these safety nets don't work. They actually become a hindrance to the life that God wants us to live. The example Paul lived and gave the Philippians is found in Philippians 1, 18 through 20. This is what it says. You're going to read this again. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit, of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. We're going to come back to that word in a minute here. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. In verse 19, the word deliverance, we're coming back to this word. It can be translated as salvation, as in rescue. So one way to understand this is that um, through through the prayers of the Philippians and through God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, 
what the, the events, the situation, the, the circumstances of what has happened to Paul is going to turn out for his rescue. All right. He's going to, you know, one way to look at this is that he's going to be rescued out of this. But I don't think that's exactly what Paul is talking about there. Because another way this particular word can be translated is vindication. Okay. So to me, that seems to be the idea that Paul is referring to rather than being rescued from his current situation, though the vindication he's going to experience is going to include that. He's, he's already said that, look, I'm going to come back to you. I, I really believe I'm going to. So there, there's a little bit of that element in there, but overall, the big idea he's talking about is being vindicated through his current situation. Vindication is about being approved and honored. It's like God seeing what Paul is doing, what Paul has committed himself to and saying, yes, that's what I want. Well done. Great job. Okay, and so God is going to take whatever situation Paul is in and he's going to use it for good. He's going to use it to further the gospel, which is what Paul wants to see happen anyway. So because Paul believes this, he can, he can say, now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. No matter what happens, he says, I'm going to be vindicated. I'm going to be proved honored and honorable and right because of God. Because he believes in the God who raises the dead. He knows that this isn't, that death even isn't the final word, that God is above that and that he's able to vindicate Paul even beyond that. So in all things, he trusts God by entrusting himself to God, allowing God to write the script of the story rather than him trying to write his own story. This example has its roots in the Old Testament story of Joseph all the way back in Genesis. If you've read Genesis, you, you know this story. Joseph was uh, the 11th of 12 brothers. He's sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. And um, he ends up in slavery in Egypt and then eventually in jail and, and all of that. Well, as he gets through all of these horrific things that he has to encounter, that he goes through, finally he becomes vindicated. All right, he gets called up and he becomes Pharaoh's second in charge, the, the right hand of Pharaoh. They're the only person who has any more uh, authority in Egypt is Pharaoh himself. And, and so out of that, eventually when, when he gets reunited with his brothers and his brothers are freaking out and, and, and they want him to forgive them, Joseph is able to look back on everything, see what God has done and, and say you know what? You guys meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. God took this horrific situation and did something really beautiful out of it. And of course, Jesus himself is the ultimate example of this. As Jesus was preparing to go to the cross the night before he, he's, uh, he's going to a, a trial and then going to eventually go to the cross, he's praying to the Father, you know what? If at all possible, let this go by me. I don't want to, I don't want to partake in this. Nevertheless, he says, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus himself is the primary example of entrusting ourselves to God, 
of being able to say, you know what, no matter what happens, I know that you've got this and that there is something good that's going to come out of it. And so I entrust myself to you. When we trust God this way, you guys, we can endure just about anything because what the, the fact or, or the content of our belief or, or, or the practice of our trust is based on this good God who raises the dead, all right? Death can't conquer him, and because we are in him, it can't conquer us either, no matter what happens, no matter what happens. God will vindicate us through whatever we encounter. Will we follow the example of living in trust? Will we do that? Will we choose that path? Will we let go of our training wheels, of our safety nets, and those things that hinder us from stepping further out into the trust and saying, no matter what happens, I know you're good and I know you've got this so that even if I physically die, which frankly, most of us probably aren't going to through most of the situations that we encounter. But even if we do, I know, God, that you are good. Will we follow the example by living in trust? If we're going to, then we're going to need to understand one more thing, and that's number three. To live the gospel, we must have single focus. To live the gospel, we must have single focus. I remember a time I was working for the Army Corps of Engineers. This was years ago. I was out going to go do a job. And as I was driving down the truck down the road, I saw this squirrel out in the distance. And it, I don't, I don't know if it felt the vibrations on the road or, or heard it or the truck coming or what, but it knew I was coming. And it started dancing back and forth in, in the middle of the road. It could not make up its mind which direction to go. And because it couldn't make up his mind, I wasn't going to swerve. It didn't turn out too well for that squirrel. Um, but here, here's the thing, you guys, sometimes we're a little bit like that squirrel, aren't we? We might not be in the middle of the road dancing back and forth, trying to dodge cars, but we do get pulled in different directions based on competing needs and wants that we encounter. Relationships, entertainment, sports, work, family, uh, leisure time. I mean, you think about it, there are so many things where our allegiances are divided that we get pulled in a hundred different directions. And even for those of us who are Christ followers, Jesus can become just one more thing to add to the list of allegiances. If we're being honest, that's what happens sometimes. In all that goes on, Paul sums his life and the way he lives this way. This is Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, everything about his life was based on Jesus. And what he looked forward to most was being with Jesus, being in his presence, finally getting to the, the sum up of everything where he's able to see Jesus face to face. 
Uh, recently, my son, Caleb, we let him watch the, the latest Star Wars movie, Rise of Skywalker. I've told you guys before that, that Caleb already loves Star Wars, but he has become inspired even more into the Star Wars world and is currently planning all of his birthday gifts around the Rise of Skywalker and specifically the Lego sets that have come out of that movie. Uh, and you guys, his birthday isn't until July, so we're hearing about this multiple times a day, uh, you know, every day of the week. It's just amazing, his, his fixation on it. Now, here's, here's my point. Living with single focus doesn't mean that we don't deal with other things, that we, that we release everything else in our lives, the, the, the relationships, our jobs, fun, uh, leisure, sports, you know, all of those things. It doesn't mean that, that we let go of all of those things. Living with single focus means that everything else we are engaged in as we go about living life is brought under the umbrella of that one overarching thing. That's what it means to live with single focus. It means that everything else finds its meaning and its place within this one thing. To live with the single focus of Jesus as our life and the culmination of our beings means that our work is brought under the lordship of Jesus. Our relationships are brought under the lordship of Jesus our entertainment, our fun, our leisure, those hobbies, those things that we like to do, all of it is brought under the lordship of Jesus. Jesus himself demonstrates this in his own life. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said this, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does. He says, my life is summed up by and in my relationship with the Father. I want to honor the Father in all I do. So everything I do is because of what I see the Father doing. Jesus told us earlier in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of living, and everything else is going to be added to you. You're going to see all of this. God is going to provide for it, but it's also going to find its meaning in God's kingdom and in God's way of living. You guys, where is your focus? What is the overarching focus of your life? What gives meaning to all that you do? If we are going to live the gospel, we need to live the example of Jesus by trusting God and having a single focus of Jesus, our single focus on Jesus, on his gospel. That's how we need to live. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you so much that you don't, uh, you don't ask us to earn your love. You don't ask us to, um, 
perform to a certain level in order to receive your love. You simply give it to us because you want to, because that's who you are. Thank you so much for that. But God, we know that you do call us deeper into relationship with you. And that part of that relationship is is following the examples that that hold up Jesus Christ as the example, as as the pattern to follow, that, that are summed up by trust in you in everything and in single purpose and focus in life. God, I pray that you would help us to live that way, that we would be able to to, to put that forth right here, right now, where we are at, even as we are scattered across a, a, a greater area and space that, that we're, we're participating with each other through our screens and, and, and all of that. But God, I pray that despite all of that, even through it, that you would use that. We trust you right now to use that to create something beautiful and something good because we know that you waste nothing. And that you are good always, no matter what happens to us in the immediate. Help us to be focused on you. Maybe you are listening or watching this message right now and you haven't begun your life as a Christ follower, but you like what you're hearing. And you want to join in. You want to become part of what God is doing. You want to have God's very life in you. I, I'm going to say a prayer. Just make it yours. Father, here I am. I give myself to you. I entrust myself to you. I want your life instead of the life that I've tried to chase after or I've tried to produce on my own. I want to have you working in me and through me. I want to be part of your family. So here I am. I am yours. Be mine. Make me part of your family, I pray. Father, for anyone who made that prayer theirs, I I ask that you would be with them right now, that you would flood them with, with the knowledge and experience of your love, of your presence by your spirit right now. That they would know what it is to be loved by you, God, and then you would be able to turn that outwards so that they are able to love others with the very love that they have been loved with. God, I pray that for all of us right now, that we would be able to live your gospel, that we would be able to proclaim it through our lives as you call us to, so that we can be bringing together your kingdom on earth as in heaven. God, we ask that you would accomplish that. We know that you're the one who's going to accomplish it, but use us, we ask, to make it happen. Father, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you guys, thank you so much for joining with us. Uh, Like I said, we're going to continue in Philippians next week. Uh, I'm excited for where we're going I just want to encourage you to, to come back and join with us again next week. If you said, if you made that prayer of, of following Jesus uh, your own, go ahead and in your upper right-hand corner, uh, if you're watching live, uh, you can click on, on the Contact Us 
button and you fill that out. I'll, I'll be able to see that and be able to connect with you. I want to hear your story. Um, maybe maybe you, you're already a Christ follower and you just need some encouragement. Go ahead and fill that contact us card out and um, I would love to connect with you, whether that's through a phone call or video or text or whatever. Just let me know how I can encourage you, how I can be for you and with you. And I want to do that. You guys, thank you so much for being here. And I look forward for us being together again next week. Have a great rest of your Mother's Day. Say hi to your moms. Thank them. Thank some other moms around you. Bless them. And you guys have a great week.